This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode. I'm here, Ryan England with Core Matters, and I am really excited about today's guest because as you know, I talk a lot about hiring. We talk a lot about hiring on this show, but one of the things that we don't do a lot of hiring with is salespeople, especially those outside sales reps. Maybe they're making those B2B calls for you. Salespeople are a different breed. If you talk to people about salespeople, there's just a different way to manage them, a different way to motivate them. And it's something that really requires a lot of special expertise. And that's why I'm excited about today's guest. Today's guest, he spent a lot of time in B2B, working in corporate for large organizations, but he really likes to work with B2B entrepreneurs to help them unlock business growth. He's created a system called the Revenue Throughput System, which I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about today. I want to welcome to today's show, Jose Palomino. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Ryan. So tell me, what is the biggest myth about your industry? There's probably two things that stand out, and that's a great question, Ryan. I think the first thing is that, especially for owner-led businesses, companies that, let's say, are not enterprises, right, where the owner sometimes reaches a point, whether it's hiring a sales rep or even doing something in marketing, anything along that line, where they just want somebody to kind of relieve the pain. So they think they can somehow hand it over to somebody and not have to get very intimately involved because they're the experts. They know SEO. They know AdWords. They know lead generation, they know sales management, and they may well know those things. But if you're the owner, especially if you're the owner founder who brought your company from an idea to its present level of success, you're going to be involved. You're going to have to be involved and you're going to want to be involved. Now, by that, I don't mean that you're going to tell them how to do their job, because if you could do that, you wouldn't need them. And that doesn't add anything. And frankly, as a consultant, as an advisor, When you're in that kind of a situation, it's kind of a thankless task. At some point, it's a little frustrating for everybody. Nobody happy at that point. But I think the worst case scenario is not the over-involved owner. The worst case scenario is the under-involved owner, where they've handed it over. Because then three, four months later, you're not going to see the results you wanted. They're going to have pointed in the wrong direction, done something that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And as the owner, you're going to be frustrated with them. As the practitioner, they're going to be frustrated with you because they're going to say, well, dude, this is what you told us or what we understood you wanted. Mm. And you really didn't want to get that involved with things except for now. So I think one of the biggest myths is that you can actually in any way delegate this out when you're still in that owner-led category where you're 10, 20, $30 million business, you're going to be involved. And there's no one that can take that off your plate. I've heard people say that even salespeople need to be managed. Like you can't just turn them loose and expect they're going to be able to go out hunting and bring back the kill that you wanted. And so if you don't have solid management for salespeople, it can be a real mess. Yeah. And especially for smaller companies. So for example, you own a led business, most decisions somehow route their way back to your desk. That's just the nature of your $10 million company. And you have people with this, that, or the other title. And you say, now it's time. We're going to mature. We're going to hire ourselves a good full-time sales rep right? This person is going to help us really grow the business. So you interview a few folks and then you hire that person. 
and you hire one. You're thinking maybe next year we'll hire the second. Well, who's managing them to your exact point, Ryan? Who's actually leading them? The reality is your very best sales reps that you might actually be able to hire at that size company is going to be somebody who hopefully have good, strong sales acumen. And I'll get into another myth that gets involved in this as well. But they need accountability. Sales is an accountability game. You need to know what they're doing. Now, I've seen it go too far the other way where you smother somebody. And if they're talented and they have other options, they're not going to tolerate that. So there's an actual balancing act of where you hold them accountable. And the way I look at it is accountability sounds like a top-down kind of perspective. Like, I'm going to make sure they do their job. Sure. Turn that around to... I, as the owner, am going to be accountable to them to support them. So I'm going to make sure that they're actually tracking opportunities a certain way and helping them where necessary. I'm going to give them all the resources they might need to be successful, and they're going to feel very supported by me. So that if they have, for example, they actually got a big meeting going, and they say, okay, boss, I really would love for you to come with me on this big meeting because it's a big opportunity. Go and support them, but then... Ask them, okay, what's the game plan for the meeting? We have an hour with this uh, client. How do we want to tackle this? What do you think we should do here? And those are empowering questions that really show that sales rep that you hired. Again, you only have one, so you have one headcount. Yeah. Okay. So the temptation is to say, this is somebody, let's say a 50-year-old professional, 25 years experience selling in the industry for a long time. I should be able to count on them to just do their job. That doesn't work. Let me say it differently. Maybe it works somewhere. I've never seen it work. There needs to be the sense of support, accountability, some sort of cadence, some sort of regular connection so that you actually, as the owner who hired that one sales rep, and if you have hired that one sales rep and you know what happens if you take your foot off the pedal, again, I'm not talking about something draconian where you're just hammering people because, again, you won't keep talent that way. Yeah. But that right balance where they know, okay, somebody's paying attention to this and I actually have to achieve certain things to be able to feel good about myself, to be able to earn what I want to earn. Those are all things that go into that sales management picture. So it got me thinking about something I've heard in the past and I would love to know what your thoughts are on this. But I have been told by many sales experts that when you're hiring your first salesperson, you can't stop at one. You really got to hire two because it allows them to be able to play off each other. It gives them someone to compete with. It makes it a little bit more game because really good salespeople, they need some of that competition. What are your thoughts on that? I would agree 100% with the possible caveat of this, which is really good salespeople are not cheap. Mm. And really affordable salespeople are usually not good. And I've seen owners do that. So if you can get one really good headcount and they're going to come in with industry experience, proven track record at a base salary of anywhere from eighty dollars to $110,000, let's say, and you're a small company, you're not a major corporate, versus two for 48. Yeah. It's not worth it. But I'd rather tell that person, say, my vision for your position is that you prove out that this can be sold this way. And that by doing so, I will then, in the next year, bring on a colleague for you. And sometimes that first hire might be somebody who's thinking, well, then will I be the leader? And sometimes they don't want to be. There are professional salespeople that are very happy being an individual contributor, making a very good living, 
and not have to worry about somebody else's performance because that's exhausting for some people. Yeah. And often a lot of sales managers are good, but not great sales reps, but they're very good managers, similar to sports. You see, oftentimes the best coaches, they weren't Michael Jordan level talents, Yeah, but they're good. They belonged on the team, but they just weren't that top echelon. They actually realized my best gift is working with people, motivating people and so on. But again, if you're a very small company, you're hiring one or two, if you can afford the two hires, do it. And I'd agree with that advice. The only further caveat I'd say though, is again, because of the cost, you really have to know how to screen for these people because you could end up a quarter million dollars in the hole a year from now and have nothing to show for it. So it's better to hire one really good person, pay them what they're worth, pay for that top level talent than it is to say, oh, I've only got 110,000 budget. Let me split it between two people because maybe they'll be more competitive. It's better to just go all in with one that's really right. I think so. And I think the exception to that would be only if you personally listening to this as an owner operator, you know for a fact that you're a very good sales leader. That's tricky. Yeah. Or other people have told you that. People who know you, you're part of a business roundtable, or you have a business coach who says, listen, you're really good at this. You should be out there more often. Then you might bring in somebody more junior at that more affordable rate to open up territory for you. They're essentially in large companies that would be called an SDR, sales development rep. But you have the leadership skills as the owner operator that can actually guide, manage, mentor this junior salesperson versus saying, hey, I want to step back from sales and just be more of that support and accountable to them, hiring that really well-experienced, well-seasoned, you know, someone's got the experience in the industry, then hiring that one person. Is that right? Absolutely. And again, if you're talking about affordability, and I hate to talk about numbers because one day somebody listening to this podcast, 10 years from now, (laughs) the numbers may be all wacky. The essential thought is uh, quality like in everything in life, costs something. And the reality is you may be listening to this and say, there's no way I could afford to pay $110,000 base to anybody under any circumstances. I would say then just open up your budget to the most you can manage. It has to be realistic for you. But really hold the bar up high on the quality of person you're looking for. And this is an area where I think a lot of owners, especially in technical categories, industrial categories, manufacturing, OEM, professional services, industrial services, they often fail in this one other thing. And you didn't ask this question, Ryan, but I just think it's important to hit on it. And this is going to sound very counterintuitive. They overvalue industry and product knowledge Mm -hmm. because they often remember the days when they started the business, when they were the practitioner, they were the one doing the doing, right? Let's say. So they knew everything about doing, making the part or doing the service. So they really value that in somebody who can talk a great game about the doing, but you're not hiring somebody to be your project manager on delivery. You're not hiring somebody to actually be the manufacturing foreman. You're hiring somebody to get you new business. So when you weigh on your scorecard, and I've actually done this with many, many owners, they I say, okay, these are the different attributes. Put a balanced weight, what you think is most important. And inevitably, industry knowledge, product knowledge is like a 10. And things like negotiation, lead generation, or being able to present are like five, six, seven. You know, they're important, but not as important as, boy, this person really has to know their stuff. I'm saying 
The reality is people learn a lot these days. They can research your product thoroughly. You need somebody who has good sales acumen. And that's a whole different skill set. That's a universal skill set of dealing with people that has nothing to do with your industry or product. It's almost more behavior-based than it is, do they have that product knowledge? When we're screening people and we're talking to our clients about how do you hire a technician or how do you hire a customer service rep, I always tell them, make sure you screen for the things that you can't or won't teach. I can teach somebody about my product or service. In fact, it's probably going to be different enough that I'm going to have to train them anyways when they're new on my team, if I wanted to teach them about my product or service. But what I can't teach a salesperson to do, for example, is to pick up that phone. Like if they look at the phone and it weighs 900 pounds every time they pick it up, I can't overcome that, even if I'm a great sales leader. No amount of training could overcome that. Exactly. But I can teach them not only my industry or my prospects or some of our jargon, but like the one that always kills me is, especially in sales, they always want someone that has experience using their CRM. I'm like, what are the odds of that? Like, I'm going to teach them how to use it our way anyways. I can promise you the way we use it is not the way everybody else uses it. Especially in some of these older industrial categories. Be happy if you found somebody who knows how to spell CRM still. All right. So just be happy with that. And they can (laughs) learn it. And you're exactly right. There's a whole set of behaviors, mindsets, skills that are really industry and product agnostic. Sure. Now, I'm not saying if you take somebody who was selling, let's say I'm making this up, but let's say dental supplies and all of a sudden you're selling like cyclotrons to hospitals or CAT scan machines that you don't need somebody with some range of transferable skills depending on what you're selling. Yeah. So it can't be like where it's a complete alien thing to them. But they don't need to know how to engineer a CAT scan machine or how to build one from scratch. Yeah. Like some survivor test. So you give them all the parts and say, build a CAT scan machine. Not realistic. They need to know its application. They need to know it's how people actually use it, what matters to people. And if I don't know, how do I ask those questions so people tell me where they might need a new machine or a new product or a new service? Sure. It's finding those gaps. It's really knowing how to dig in to create value for customers. That's the thing you're looking for. So one of the first things, if you're interviewing a salesperson, is just make a note, write it down as you're interviewing this person. Is this person asking me questions about my gaps in my business, my needs in my business, where a sales process might fit in? Or are they asking me questions about just like, what's the territory? Who am I calling on? Anybody could do that. That's the back of a crackerjack box in sales. But are they really probing, especially if they know they're going to be one of one or one of two sales reps in my small company? Are they asking me about my company, what I'm doing? Because that's what I need them to do in the field. And if they're not doing that when they're selling the thing they know the most about, which is themselves, yeah, how in the world are they going to do that for me? They're not. So I really want to know, is this, and again, it's not the person who talks the fastest or the person who has like the Jedi mind tricks and they say, oh, that's great technique. That doesn't really work anymore. I really find that I have a real problem with tricking people into buying from you. If you're in B2B, you're selling a considered purchase. It's a capital purchase. It usually involves more than one decision maker. It's learning how to sell into organization. That's the other thing. You want to make sure the person you're interviewing actually understands the complexity of the sales environment that you sell into. You don't want to take that guy that's been selling cars for 10 years and go, oh, he's got great sales experience. 
is sales experience for a transactional sale, but it's not going to help if you're selling through distribution, for example, where you have to work through five levels in a territory to move product. Yep. Totally makes sense. It's got me thinking here. We spend a lot of time in our program talking about how do you screen people. And one of the biggest challenges, and I think you just echoed this, and forget salespeople, like just in general, during the interview process, the person applying for the job is the one that should be selling. But so many times, in fact, we just had a client earlier this year who showed me his interview process. And the first line was spend 25 to 30 minutes telling how awesome you are as the employer. Sell you for 20 or 30 minutes and then start asking the questions. And my problem has always been, you just gave them all the answers to the test. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Absolutely. Right. So we really believe in an inclusive culture. Don't be surprised when he says, I really want to be part of an inclusive culture. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's do this. I want to know a little bit more about screening salespeople because that's the thing about salespeople is they should be good at selling, right? So what is like one tip that you could give besides the, are they asking me the right questions about my business? Are they understanding the gaps here? Are they really starting to see the big picture? What's another tip you could give when it comes to screening salespeople so you don't get duped? I think a few things, and this will tie a little bit to the complexity of your product, whatever you're selling, right? So if you're literally selling CAT scan machines, obviously it's a specialized field. Medical equipment, capital equipment is a different thing. Let's assume most of us on this call aren't on this podcast listening to it, aren't doing that. Yeah. But you do want to know, does this person communicate well? Do they just explain themselves well? Do they keep answers short? So by short, I don't mean terse. But not every answer has to be a monologue. Do they dominate the conversation, which can sound like or could feel like that's a person who could control the conversation? In actuality, that's a person that will say a lot of words, will leave the meeting thinking it was a good meeting, and the prospect's thinking, boy, that person really likes to hear themselves talk. Mm -hmm. So you really want somebody who's like just good conversationalist. And I know it sounds like a soft skill, but it's like a quintessential skill of selling. You need to be able to engage with people so they want to engage with you. Yeah. The other thing is you are looking, and this is a softer thing, but just did you like being in the room with this person for an hour? Or were you like relieved when they left? And those are soft things to point to, but they're yeah. real. They're human factors. I think on a more technical background, just asking a few questions that I think they should have good answers for. So for example... What do they find is the secret up to this point in their career? Presumably, they've been selling for a living. The secret to their success, what works for them? Help them explain to you what is their typical sales process. It doesn't mean it's going to be your process or that you need to use that process when you hire this person. But you do want to get a sense that they understand the question. If they say, well, when people call us, I answer questions, then I make a proposal and I follow up. That's not a process. Yeah. And then a miracle happens on a project plan. You know, I, I really like that question because it gives you, you're not really looking for the right answer. Like there is no right answer. Like what's the secret to your success? You're really thinking, have they thought through this? Have they thought through the process of the success that they've achieved so far? You know, I would say for a lot of our listeners right now, and a lot of the work we do, we work with a lot of commercial service companies. And so they won't be selling the equipment as much. I mean, some manufacturing will be out there doing that, but for a lot of it, it's going to be that commercial services. So this is something that may have a low per ticket value, but it's about the long-term relationship, mm -hmm. right? So if I'm doing office cleaning, for example, 
per month, I'm not charging a lot, but the idea is this is a client for five, six, 10 years, right? So it can be very large transactions. We just started working with someone who does a lot of bid work in the construction space, but it's not something where like they've got to go out and they've got to find these bids. They've got to create these relationships with these contractors so that they can actually get sent the bid and say, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Like we want your RFP. And so a lot of that is that relationship building piece. But I love to your point though, it's there's a process even to that. Absolutely. And even how they think about if you're in a relationship business, the way you describe where the real win is hanging on to and delivering services to a company for five or 10 years, then you really want a sales rep that's going to represent you well. And by that, I mean, typically you're not going to hang on to that. And these are for the most part, what I would call commodity categories. Other people can clean your office. Mm -hmm. And at some point you as a buyer probably believe they can probably all more or less clean the office more or less the same, right? Sure. So why pick you? Well, your rep's going to be your ambassador for that. So does this person sound like they have it? Do they believe in things like integrity, being honest with your answers? All those things are really important on the front end. So where does that fit in? What is their kind of philosophy of relationship development? Ask them that question. How important are relationships in your last job? Tell Mm -hmm. me an example of where, because of a strength of your relationship, you were able to secure the business in a way that maybe you would have lost it otherwise. You ask them always for examples of past behavior. And this is really critical. And this is true of just basic interview. And obviously you, and perhaps many of your listeners know this as well. If you ask somebody what the right answer is, they can intellectually figure that out. Mm -hmm. If you ask them, when have you done this? And tell me about it. That No, they can make up a story. Sure. But even that's, at least they're thinking the right way. Yeah. So where has integrity, where has honesty? Where has being uh, clear and crisp on your promises, where has that helped you win business before and keep business before? Because that's what we need if we're in that service business. Yeah. And to me, I say that that's always about values alignment, right? When you're sending that salesperson out into the field, like you said, they're the ambassador for your business. Are they representing the way you want to be represented? Are they coming across? Are they Are they appearing the way you want them to appear? Are they having conversations the way you want them to have conversations? And a lot of that stuff you can't teach. So let's do this because I want to make sure we get to a second tip here. I love these interview things and we could probably talk about how to interview people. But let's say I find the one. I find the person that is going to be my new sales rep, my first sales rep. Maybe they're my second, but we're still small. Give me one thing that we can do to really make sure that they're going to produce for us that it's going to be that worthwhile investment. They're going to get out there. They're going to close deals. They're going to do it. What is something that I could do besides giving them that level of accountability, something specific that I could do to really help them make sure that they perform? I think early on, this is an activity that a lot of people get uncomfortable with, but yet to see a substitute for this technique, which is role-playing, role-playing, role-playing. You go through it do it on the phone, do it face-to-face, do it over Zoom, I don't care, practice, and then also have a couple of things. An opening script doesn't mean you expect them to quote a verbatim. You're not hiring a robot, but you really want more than anything. Are we aligned on the thoughts we want to communicate? Like, what are those? Also, breaking down typical objections. So what happens is if the person talks to 100 people, they come back and say, boss, man, I really got beat up. I ran into a hundred objections. I say, wow, a hundred objections, man, that really is tough. 
Yeah. But when you break it down and you write it down, you realize, oh, wait a second, that, that one's like that first one. And you end up with it's really three objections that you have to get good at. And then through role play and discussion, figure out, okay, what's the best answer we could give when somebody says Ajax Cleaning is offering a 10% discount to sign up with them? If I'm hearing that a lot, I have to come up with an answer. I can't just throw up my hands and say, well, so what? So helping the sales rep early on with objection handling, how to introduce the company, figure that out, and then give an opportunity to practice. There's, again, I was just watching a recent documentary on the 1992 Dream Team, Mm -hmm. the greatest basketball team ever assembled. And every one of those, if you study their backgrounds, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, et cetera, et cetera, they were like practice animals. These people practice hard. And they were ready at the top of their game. They were like the best in the world. And they practice and they practice the way you want to play it. So I would say giving your rep opportunities to practice. Otherwise, they're going to go out. They're going to come back and say, boy, that was really tough. And you're going to say, what did you say to them? And they said, and then you're going to critique it. That's not role playing. Role playing is let's get into character. Let's try. Let's pretend. It's uncomfortable at first. But kids do it all the time. So remember what it was like to be that kid, right? (laughs) Yeah. You can be Captain America for an afternoon and just practice. And the person gets comfortable saying things. You can catch things. Say, oh, well, maybe try it this way and try that. And then you get comfortable. And once they go out there and they do enough of these calls, they're going to be comfortable doing it that way. Yeah. But that also will help you reveal those objections you need to have answers to. I love that. And what it really comes down to from hearing you say that is you've really got to invest in your salespeople. You can't just hire them and say, here's the lead list, go. No, that's a very common behavior, especially companies that haven't hired a lot of sales reps before. They're just hoping, but look, I'm paying this guy or this gal all this money. Aren't they a professional? Shouldn't they do this? I'm saying, well, good luck with that approach. Yeah. But you're going to be six months from now lamenting why you didn't invest in the front end. You're not done when you sign the paycheck. The whole point is you're making a commitment to have somebody out in the field day in and day out representing your company. And that means you're committed to that and you have to commit to the success of that program. Yeah. In investing your people. So that, I mean, this is one of the things that I see happen when people hire salespeople is they bring them in three weeks later, they haven't closed anything yet. And they're like, I gave them a leads list. Like these people were talking to me. I don't know why they can't close them. And they're like, I think I made a mistake. I need to find someone else. And it's like, hold on, (laughs) you know, you got to give people some time to ramp this up, especially if they're new to your industry, especially if they don't have relationships to your contacts. But as the owner, to me, that's probably the number one takeaway is it's not just a matter about finding the right people, but you really got to invest in those people. You got to support them. You got to create that system of accountability that as the owner, we're accountable to their success, not the other way around where they're accountable to hitting a scorecard number that says, we didn't make enough sales calls today. You're out. It really is investing in them and making sure that they are ready to take your business to the next level. Exactly right, Ryan. I think it is a big investment. It's not easy to do. And if you haven't done it before, using yourself as the standard, like I built this business by doing this, that, or the other activity. Well, chances are that may have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And guess what? The world's changed a lot. So you're hiring somebody to help you do things the way they have to be done today. So you stay involved and stay invested, but don't assume it's all going to be the same as it was when you started your firm, because it's different right now. Buyers are different. The way people communicate is different. 
That's what you really want. Well, not only that, a seasoned sales professional is not an entrepreneur. And I think that's the other thing where a lot of owner operators get confused is they're like, well, I did it. So why can't they do it? I'm like, well, if they had the same skill set as you and the same behaviors as you, they'd be your competition. Right. They wouldn't be working for you. So <laughs> yes. make sure you put that into perspective here that they do need support and they need to be managed. So speaking of support, let's say the listeners are like, you know what, Jose, this sounds awesome, but I really need some help. Like, I love your philosophy. I love your thoughts on this. You do so much more than just help them hire salespeople. I know that. One of the things that you and I could probably have a whole nother episode on is just vision and how important vision is to keeping your team aligned and keeping them focused and motivated. But if someone wanted to learn more about how you could help them, you actually have a program set up. I'd love for you to spend a couple of minutes talking about that. Sure. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah. So we have a program that focuses on how your entire company converts opportunities into revenue. It's B2B focus. And we look at that conversion of opportunities turning into revenue as your revenue throughput. So for those of you in manufacturing or anything like that, you understand the idea of throughput is the volume and velocity by which something goes through your system. So your whole business is a system designed to create revenue. So it's the obvious ones are marketing and sales. But production has a lot to say. Customer service has a lot to say. Your resources, your financing, your working capital, your leadership. And then you get into some subtleties like your core strategy. How do you differentiate your product? How do you target the right audience? So taken together, we call that the revenue throughput system. And information on that is easily found on our website, which is valueprop.com. That's V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P.com. And you could contact me through that as well. I'm on LinkedIn, Jose Palomino. There's not many of us on LinkedIn, so you could, thankfully, I'm not John Smith, of which you'd never find me. If somebody was interested, just a simple conversation to see if there's a, you talked earlier about alignment. It's all about alignment. Sure. Not everything's for everybody and some things are, and that's an easy thing to figure out. And you've even got something free for our listeners today, right? That they can get from your website. Tell me about that. Yes, we have a series of owner's guides, but we have one especially that I believe, Ryan, you mentioned you'll put it on the show notes Absolutely. on revenue throughput, just the concepts of revenue throughput. It's, it's not going to make your head hurt, but it clarifies that a little further. And it might actually be kind of inspirational as you start looking at your business a slightly different way. So hopefully that'll be a benefit to you. And of course, that's free and available for downloading. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Everybody knows I am super passionate about hiring. It sounds like it's a real key part for you as well. So I really enjoyed the conversation today. Jose, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. And for those of you listening, even if you're in the car right now, make sure to go to the website, bluecollarculture.com. You can listen to this episode at your desk, share it with other people on your team, or even get in those show notes and get that free download from Jose. Jose, thanks again for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by BlueCollarCulture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to BlueCollarCulture.com.